so thankful that you're here today. Um, you know, we're in the book of Ecclesiastes, and man, what a, what a wonderful study this has been, and I'm excited about today's message. Uh, if I could summarize this message in one sentence today, it would be this. And don't, don't worry, we're not going to dismiss after this one sentence, okay? I'm going to go ahead and preach the whole message. But, but if I could summarize it in one sentence, it would be that if you're not ready, it's this, you're, you're not ready to live unless you are ready to die. Now think about that. You're not ready to live unless you're ready to die. Now, first thought, you may think, man, this is going to be a downer day. Uh, wow, glad I came to church today. But, 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 you know, it's really not a downer day. It's a hopeful day. It's a day that's hopeful because, because um, death is a reality for all of us. And the book of Ecclesiastes is this incredible philosophical book that deals with the realities of life. You know, you, we, we said almost every week that, that you'll hear this phrase 37 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, under the sun. And it's a, it's a description of what life is going to be like, it, what life is like after the fall when Adam fell and until the time that Jesus returns. It's life as we see it. And when I, when I look at the book of Ecclesiastes, it's almost like the writer, which we believe is Solomon, and, and there's lots of evidence that Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, but, but it's almost like the writer of Ecclesiastes read the newspaper this week. It's incredibly relevant to where we're living in, in life today. And, and you know, when, when I... When I look at the book of Ecclesiastes, all through it, he faces this reality of his mortality, the reality of death. Now, now when you look at this, one of, my, one of the greatest writings all through history, uh, uh, just uh, pieces of literature, that, and, and, and in America, we used to study this for, for uh, years ago. This was like normal reading in English class. Now, it wasn't in my generation. I missed it, and, and we're losing this book. It, it's Pilgrim's Progress, and it's, it's one of my favorite reads. Charles Spurgeon is a preacher that I, I really like. I've got a little Spurgeon bobblehead in my office, and, and uh, sometimes before I come to preach, I'll touch the Spurgeon bobblehead because it's the baseball, you know, you know traditions in me. But, uh, but, you know, Spurgeon had this practice that he read Pilgrim's Progress every year. And I started that two years ago. I started reading that book every year. Pilgrim's Progress was written by John Bunyan in the 1600s. And John Bunyan was a Puritan preacher. And, and uh, it was interesting, when he was in, in prison, in jail, a lot of people believe he wrote this while he was in jail uh, for his faith. And, uh, and John Bunyan writes this story of Christian on his journey to the heavenly city. And it's interesting, the influence of this book, because we get a lot of our descriptions of death from this book. In the 10th stage, Christian is on his journey, and he's got his buddy Hopeful with him. And I love Hopeful. And today, the reason I, and I think this message is, is, is not a downer, because it's Hopeful. Uh, and, and Hopeful was with Christian, and they're, and they're coming in the land of Beulah, and, and they can see the heavenly city, and, and it's right in front of them, and, and they have a guide that's with them, and Christian and Hopeful are walking with this guide, and, and Christian says, I see it, I see the heavenly city, it's right there, but, but wait, there's a river, and he says to his guide, the, the river, there's a river there, and it looks wide. 
And he said, is, is there, a, is there a, I don't see a bridge. Is there another way around the river? And the guide looks at Christian and he goes, yeah, there, there's another way around the river, but only two have gone that way, Enoch and Elijah. Remember Enoch and Elijah? Those are the two men in Scripture that never died. And he goes, yeah, those, those are the only two that have gone that way. you got to cross the river. And, and Christian, though, John Bunyan writes, Christian began to despond. I mean, that's old language. He, he began to be worried and fearful and, oh, no, we got to cross the river. And he says to the guide, is it deep? Is that river deep? And the guide says something so beautiful. He says, well, it, its depths vary. It depends on your faith in the master of this place. Um, and Christian's like, okay. So we got to cross the river. So, so hopeful and Christian begin to cross the river. The, the river is the picture of death. It's the river that every one of us will cross. You know, we get that term, he's gone to the other side. Right? That's where we get it. John Bunyan, he, he gets in there. And so the Christian and hopeful begin to cross the river, and hopeful is next to Christian. And he goes, brother, hey, I, I can feel the bottom, and, and I see two men, and they're right in front of us, and, and man, they're gloriously clothed. And, and Christian, John Bunyan writes about Christian. He's sinking, and, he's, and the water's coming over him, and he's, and he's about to drown. And he goes, brother, I'm not going to make it because I, I'm... I've messed up. I've made too many mistakes. And hopeful is by his side. And he says, no, brother, it's, it's going to be okay. I, they're waiting for us. And he goes, no, it's for you. I've made too many mistakes. And then hopeful says to Christian, brother, remember when we came in at the narrow gate and how the burden was lifted off your back and how the Savior went to the cross for us. And then all of a sudden, Christian remembers Isaiah 43 when when I walk through the rivers, they will not overtake me. When I pass through the waters, you will be with me. And all of a sudden, Christian says, I feel the bottom. I feel the bottom. And then John Bunyan writes, and they crossed the river. And see, death is a difficult subject when you don't know Jesus. But when you know Christ, everything changes because we know the master of this whole place. And so today, we understand 1 Corinthians 15 where it says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because he gives us the victory through Jesus. And folks, it's important for us to, to encounter the book of Ecclesiastes because this book, it faces up to our fears. It moves us to ask the, the hardest questions that, that anyone can ask about the universe, about the existence of God, about the life to come. And, and, and in, in, in Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he tests every limit. He systematically tests life in the in the in every aspect of life and he and and he ends with the the end of the matter he comes to understand what's the most important and what i what what is important to catch in this series and we said it every week that that ecclesiastes deals with the dash of our life 
And by dash, we're talking about when you go to a, to a cemetery and you see the, the date of a death and, and, or the date of a birth and then the date of the death, that little dash in the middle describes every aspect of life. And, it, and I believe that unless you're ready to hit the end of your dash, you won't really be able to live during your dash. And this is why we need to understand the book of Ecclesiastes. Would you turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 9? And we have a, a practice in our church that, that we stand in honor of reading God's word. So would you stand with me as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9? And we're going to be in verses 1 through 12. It'll be on the screen behind me, but if you have your Bible, we'd invite you to open it to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Solomon says this, but all this I laid to heart, verse 1, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of children of man are full of evil and madness in their hearts while they live and after they go to, to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they, they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward for their memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work nor thought nor knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now we said uh, every week that, that, that you have to understand the book of Ecclesiastes with Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14 in view. That is the lens which, which every chapter in the book of Ecclesiastes must be understood. And, and, and the challenge has been for us is that we memorize it. 
that this is a passage of Scripture that we memorize, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. And I want to challenge you to, if you've not put that to memory, if you've not been meditating on that and working on that, can I challenge us as a church body to, to, to put God's Word in our heart? It's so powerful to put God's Word in your heart because when you memorize the text, when you memorize God's Word and you put it in your heart, I'll tell you, the, it's amazing how God uses it as a weapon against the enemy. And I want to challenge us to have God's word in our heart. Ecclesiastes, all through the book, we see it. We see this message that, that Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14 describes that a, that, a, that a life surrendered to God's purposes is the only path to genuine meaning. And, and this is the, the, the challenge of the book, that if you're going to surrender to God's purposes, that's the only way you can have satisfaction and meaning in your life. And, and what, I, what is incredible about Solomon is we see him systematically testing every path of life. And it's through, it's through this wisdom that he gains, through his mistakes that he makes, and through the, 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 the folly, the, the, the lessons that he's learned. And that, and, and that means that you and I can live on this planet, walking our dashes, running our races with the wisdom of God. And it's my prayer that for us, the wisdom of God becomes our experience. As we raise our children, it's my prayer that the wisdom of God becomes their experience, that that we can live on this planet knowing the wisdom of God. Now, when I look at his approach, you, you see his questions, you see his doubts, and, and, and I'm grateful for that. Aren't you grateful that, that the Bible is incredibly honest? Do you know that God can handle every question you have? That, that we don't have to, to put our questions aside. We can come to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't understand this. And I'm thankful that God is not intimidated by our questions. And we can come to him like Solomon has done and say, God, I don't understand. And, and, and we see this, but, but verse 1, But all this I laid to heart, examining how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. He's observing life. He sees love. He sees hate. It is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and to the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. And, and, and I see this. I, you know, there, there have been times in my life when, when I've had to face the tragic death of really good people. This weekend is a significant weekend for me because right now, this weekend is the Justin Sullivan Memorial Baseball Tournament in Oklahoma City. And, and if it ever stops raining, then they're going to get out there and play the final games of this tournament. But all weekend long, the gospel has been shared through the death of this young man, that the, the story of this young man that, that, that was in my ministry, that, that we started the ambassador baseball team from his death and from that tragic event. And I can remember sitting down and saying, God, what are you doing? Why did you take Justin at 18 years of, old, of age the day after he was named baseball player of the year for the state of Oklahoma God, I thought you were going to use him to impact Major League Baseball. And I can remember sitting there going, God, why did you take him? Why did he have to die? He's a good one. And I actually got that question from his sister. Sydney looked at me and said, Chris, you tell me, why did God take Justin today? 
I said, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't, I still miss him. And I remember going to Sydney's wedding as going, man, I wish Justin was here because he would have loved Josh. He would have loved his brother-in-law. I wonder what he would have done and how, how the things he would have accomplished. But yet I can relate to Solomon when he says, look, it seems like an evil because I see the wicked die. But I see the good die. And I don't get it. I'm struggling through it. He says, as the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears, as is he who shuns an oath. This is an evil, verse verse 3. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. You ought to try that sometime. Next time someone says, how are you doing today? Well, a living dog is better than a dead lion. Just see what they say. <laughs> you know, okay, not going to ask him how he's doing anymore. <laughs> you know, so if you have somebody that you don't want to talk to, just say that and they'll take care of it. Okay? But, but, but he's, Solomon is struggling here, isn't he? He's struggling through life. For and then this is interesting, verse 5. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward for their memory of them is forgotten. You know, here's the reality. Point number one is this. Life goes fast. Make it count. Make it count. Life goes so fast, doesn't it? And, and, it, and, and it's interesting. I, I read, as I was studying for this message, I read about, um, about these Trappist monks, these monks that were a, a, a colony. They, they would dig a grave, and, 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 and they would go to the grave almost every day and look into the grave all together. They would peer in, and they would contemplate, I wonder who's next. And they would just think about their mortality. And, and then when one of them would die, they would go, okay, it's, it's Bubba. He was next. So they buried him, and they filled the grave up. They dug another one, and they would keep their practice, going and looking in, going, I wonder who's next. Now, we've done that, haven't we? Every funeral we go to, man, I wonder what it's like when it's my time. Not everyone responds to death so um, practically. Woody Allen laughs about it. He said this, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. You know, that's what he said. But I, but I want us to see something very important. Death is an inescapable reality or certainty for everyone. It's a certainty. None of us will get out of here alive. And what's interesting is we think, oh, man, maybe medical advancement will advance. It will, there'll be some cure. There'll be something that will happen, and, and, and I won't die. You know, Rick Cuscio is a member of our church. And uh, Rick, he's, so, he's like MacGyver. I mean, the guy can just build anything. And uh, there was a guy that came to Rick and said, hey, I, I'm patenting this coffin, and I, need you to, I want you to build it for me. Here's the specs, and Rick can build anything. He goes, it's going to have some kind of argon gas or something, and, and I, we're going to be able to put a body in there, someone that dies, and, and then they're going to be preserved, and then whenever the cure comes for whatever killed them, they're going to be able to bring them back to life. 
And he's like, I, would you make this for me? And Rick's looking at it like, well, you need Jesus, you know, because Rick's a pretty, he's an evangelist, one of the greatest evangelists in our church. But he's like, if you're going to pay me money, I'll build it. Okay, I'll build it. But it's so fascinating to think about people wanting to escape death, but we won't. None of us will. And here's what I'm finding in life, that those who live with the end in mind make the most of the present. And it's my prayer that we make the most of the present. We make the most of this moment. Verse 5 says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Solomon is facing this, this travesty that, look, I'm going to be forgotten. And he was the wealthiest man. The, he could buy anything he wanted. He, there's nobody all through history that would be wealthier than Solomon. And he's like, man, I, it's, no one's going to remember me. And can I just tell all of us? That's the truth for every one of us. How many of you can name the name of your great, 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 great grandfather? Can you, do you know your great, great grandfather's name? Maybe a few of us. If we've done, like, the leaf thing or whatever uh, on the internet. My, my nephew did some research on that, and he found that my great-great-great-great-grandfather was, a, was an, uh, an itinerant or circuit rider preacher in Arkansas, a Methodist preacher. He would travel around Arkansas and preach the gospel. And, uh, and you know, it, I love that, but I don't know his name. I don't know his name. I, I, I could call Skyler and ask him, but I don't know his name. But, but you know what, I, what I'm, more than his name, I'm grateful that he knew the gospel. Because when I look at his life and I understood his life, the one thing that we got, we may not know his name, but the gospel message has traveled and it's still impacting our family four generations later. I heard a quote this week at Super Summer when I went to be with our students by an old guy named Zinzendorf. He said this, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Because maybe the most important thing for us is not that there's a monument with our name on it, but that the gospel continues generation after generation after generation in our families. And see, Solomon is kind of pointing to what's most important in the present. And we get to the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments because this is the whole duty of man. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. For God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. And it's this reality that, that, that you, when you know that there's an end, you'll really live. And this is critical for us. And so how do you live? Verse, nine, verse 7 says, go and eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. God said, our, he's, he knows us. He's given us a job to do. Every one of us have a job to do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. 
all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and your toil at which you work under the sun. You see him like, man, I'm struggling here. My vain life, my life of empty pursuits. He says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going to do. Make it count, he's saying. Make your life count. Make it count. Make the most of these days. Follow the Lord. Point two is this, that you see, Solomon, if you want to live, choose the path of contentment and gratitude. You know, this is the path of life. Contentment. Be content with our life. Enjoy what you have. Shouldn't we enjoy what we have? I mean, we live in this commercialism of a world that's always telling us what we want, what we don't have. And and, and when's the last time you go, yeah, I'm, I'm good with my car. I'll just get it fixed. Or I'm good with what I have. Enjoy what you have. Be grateful for what you do. You know, some, some, you may go, I hate my job. But, but what if you changed your mindset and I'm, I'm, just be grateful for what you do, for what you get to do. Think how that changes your, your whole attitude of just saying, I'm, try it tomorrow. Start, like my wife always says, she, she taught us growing up, give me 10, 10 things we're thankful for. And, and when you start listing things you're thankful for, you, it changes your attitude. You ought to do that with your spouse, with your husband, with your wife. You might think, I can't get to 10. Yes, you can. You can. Get to 10 things that you're grateful for. And watch how it changes your whole mindset. And this is what Solomon learned. Be grateful for what you do. Cherish the people by your side. Cherish the people that are with you. Can can I challenge you today, if you're married? If you're married today, look, tell your wife or your husband today um, something you're grateful for, for them. Do something that cherishes them today. If you're with your parents or your grandkids, or do something to say, I'm going to cherish them today. Wow, do, let's do something with this. Let's not just come into a room and hear a message and go out and not do anything with it. Man, that's not, that's not what we're supposed to do, right? Um, cherish the people by your side. Verse 11, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. And all through the book of Ecclesiastes, you see this wrestling with the chaos of life. You see the ups and downs. Here's Solomon that's got every bit of resources he could ever want. And yet, there's chaos in his life. And folks, that's normal. Chaos is normal. And can I challenge us? And this is what we learn at the end of the matter. Ecclesiastes 12, he says this. He he teaches us this. that, That seek God's wisdom through the chaos of life. Can I challenge us to be a people that, that when it gets chaotic, that we don't just automatically say, God, you're not faithful. 
God, where are you? He's already told us that tough times will come to all of us. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I've told you these things, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. But take heart because I've overcome the world. And I know there are a lot of preachers that get up and tell you that if you follow Jesus, he'll give you more money than you have. If you follow Jesus, it will be safe and it will be comfortable. The problem with that message is that when I, when I look at the, the men that wrote the scriptures, they followed Jesus and they had nothing. They didn't have a, Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. When I look at uh, these men that followed Jesus, they were right in the middle of his will, and they were moved into dangerous places, uncomfortable spots. But you know what's amazing is that God gave them the strength in the midst of the chaos. And what's beautiful about following Jesus is that when it gets crazy, when it gets chaotic, God shows his power to us. Sometimes giving us the strength to overcome in the face of overwhelming odds. Lynn Hill is sitting right back here. And, and he has been one of those preachers that has shaped my life. He's preaching tonight. You ought to come here and preach tonight. Six o'clock. And, um, you know, when we were in college, we, he was... His son and I lived together and we're best men in each other's weddings. And, and, and um, they have a daughter, Christy, who is just such an incredible songwriter. She wrote my favorite song that's ever been written about God. And very few people have ever heard it. She came over to our house one night in, in college and Eric pulled out his guitar and they sang this song called How Big You Are. And the words go like this, how big you are. A voice could never tell. Earthly eyes could never see all that you can be. And yet, you take the time to walk me through the chaos of my life. Your grace overwhelms me. God, how big you are. You know what Solomon came to understand in his pursuits of life? That God, you give strength during chaos. God, you are faithful to do this. God remains present during chaos. God provides people during chaos. And this is the beauty of what God reveals through Solomon's questions and doubts and fears and pursuits. And can I tell you that even in the chaos of the moment that we draw our last breath, which I anticipate for all of us will be a moment of chaos and challenge and fear and worry. But my prayer is that we as God's people turn to the Lord and say, Lord, when I cross that river, I will have faith in the master of this whole place. And see, um, you know, three gen four generations from now, my great, 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 great grandkids may not know my name. But can I tell you somebody that will never forget my name? 
my Lord and Savior. Because there was a day in my life that he saved me. And on that day, he didn't just make me from bad to good. He made me from dead to alive. And then you know what he did? He wrote my name in that book that the Bible talks about called the book of life. And I'll tell you, that changed everything about me. Changed my, my past. Changed my present. And it changed my future. Is your name in that book? You might say, well, how does my name get in that book? Well, see, there's this moment that God draws you and speaks to you, and then you come to him. And you know, if you come to him, he won't turn you away. Do you know him today? Do you know him today in the chaos of life? You may go, I don't understand all the questions of life. Guess what? We won't understand all the questions in life, but we get to know the answer to all of life. Because God came here. God in the flesh entered human history in a miraculous way. He lived this life that was beyond compare. And then he went to the cross, dying a death that the Bible reveals as substitutionary, meaning he was your substitute because you were dead in your sins. And maybe in this moment, God is coming to you going, breathing life into you. And if that's you today, come to him. If God is speaking to your heart today, come to him. We're going to have an invitation. And, and the invitation is the opportunity to respond, not to me. Maybe, maybe your response is to stand there and sing with Eden. Maybe your response is to come and get on your knees and pray. Maybe your response is to bow at your seat and come to the Lord and say, God, I, I need to trust more in the master of this place. My prayer is that you respond to the voice of the Lord. You don't turn him away. It's my prayer that we learn to move every time God moves us.